get you ready for something, but I'm not sure what. But it sounded good. Welcome. Glad you're here. Appreciate those of you who took the front few pews because uh, that's not a normal Baptist thing to do, and you've stepped out in faith and allowed some of those folks who desperately needed to remain anonymous to stay in the balcony. We're talking about those people, those people, difficult people, folks who uh, uh, kind of make life rough and tough, folks you may uh, rather avoid rather than embrace. Last week we talked about overly needy people. Uh, Anybody here move from overly needy to perfectly satisfied and content this week? Thank you, Paul and Pat. That's why they're down front. They wanted to be recognized. Overly needy to perfectly content. This week, we're going to be talking about manipulative people. Uh, I I wonder, as you said, and think just about that term and that uh, characteristic, uh, do you kind of put yourself in the category of, I'm kind of easy to manipulate? I'm an easy mark for people. People can get me to do what they want me to do. Are you kind of putty? Or if you're honest this morning, maybe you have to say, I'm one of those people who uh, I'm kind of a control freak, and I want people to do what I want them to do, and I will take drastic measures to get people Uh, to say what I want them to say, to do what I want them to do, to behave like I want them to behave, and I am just a little bit manipulative. Anybody here? Nobody's going to raise their hand on that. Well, we'll get to that. Manipulation is not a new tactic. It is seen all throughout the Scripture, and I want to share with you just a few examples this morning of what you'll find in the Scripture. First of all, there was a king during the time of Christ named Herod. Remember Herod? Herod was a morally bankrupt king. Kind of just lived any way he wanted to live. But he had some women in the palace with him, his sister Herodias and her daughter. And here's what happened on Herod's birthday party. If you have your Bibles, you can find this in Mark chapter 6 to be sure I'm telling you the story right. Herod's at his party, and he had been partaking of the ale. And he was a little buzzed. Now, if you know that term buzzed, you probably shouldn't admit it this morning. Herod was not seeing straight, wasn't thinking right. And his niece, who must have been a very, very attractive woman, came into the throne room where Herod and his friends were. And seeing this very attractive woman, Herod asked her if she would dance for him. And I'm not sure exactly what kind of dance she did, but it was so effective that he said this to her, I will give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. That's a dance right there, isn't it? Anybody here dance that well? That's a dance. Anything you want. Up to half my... I'm not giving anybody half of nothing if I can help it, right? 
That was some more dance. She went and conferred with her mother, a well-known manipulator. And you know what she asked for? She said, I want the head of John the Baptist. Herod respected John the Baptist, and he didn't want to do it. But he'd been manipulated probably by his own lust and two women into a situation he didn't want anything to do with. Remember these guys, they're from the Old Testament. Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were what? Brothers. Matter of fact, they were twins. Anybody here today a twin? A few of you guys. So you'll understand this relationship. Jacob and Esau were born within seconds of each other. Esau was the oldest, and it was very significant that he was the oldest because the oldest son in a family got the birthright, the the, the bulk of the inheritance. It was a big deal. And so just because Esau was ahead of Jacob in the birth order, uh, when their parents left behind, what they left behind, Isaac and Rebekah, Esau was going to be a much wealthier man than Jacob. Now, the Bible describes Esau as an outdoorsman, a hunter, kind of a rough and rugged, tough guy. And Jacob, well, the Bible says that he liked to hang out in the kitchen with his mom. He was kind of a mama's boy. Uh, Anybody here a mama's boy? Good. You guys will understand. And so, one day, Esau comes back into the house after a long time hunt. And when Esau comes in, he's hungry. I mean, famished. He's hungry enough to eat White Castles. He's that hungry. And he smells the stew that Jacob is making. Now, once again, this must have been some spectacular stew. It must have been Paula Dean-like stew. And here's what he says to Jacob. I'm hungry. I need something to eat right now. And Jacob said, whoa, this is good. Sniffed it, I imagine, stirred it, kind of blew that over towards him. You ever walk through the mall and and you see those fans in that pretzel shop where they're making those cinnamon? uh, They go to whiffing that stuff out there in in, in the mall. You've got to stop. You can't help it. And that's kind of what happened to Jacob. He, He blows that odor of the stew over towards him. Esau said, I need that right now. Jacob said, here's what we'll do. I'll give you the whole bowl. I'll give you the whole pot if you'll give me your birthright. Now, I've been hungry, but I've never been this hungry. Esau said, let's do it. That's a lot of money to pay for food, isn't it? Manipulation. What about Samson and Delilah? Delilah, well, she must have been pretty hot herself, the only way, way I can figure it out. Matter of fact, the Bible sort of says it doesn't say hot. Hot in the Bible is comely. She was comely. And Samson, he was a rough, tough, man's man, muscled up, long Nazarene-type hair, kind of like me, that kind of guy. He was the champion of the Israelites. And the Philistines, their arch enemy, they wanted to find a way to bring Samson down. 
And so they did some espionage, and they got his girlfriend, Delilah, involved to find out strength came from. Bible says that she asked him over and over and over and over again, where's your strength come from? She tried every tactic. Where's your strength come from? Anything she could do, she did. And finally, the Bible says that she just literally nagged him for so long that he turned to her and said, if you'll just shut up, if you'll just shut up and never ask me again, I'll tell you. Anybody here a nagger? I'm looking to get married again someday, and I want a good nagger. So just let me know. Here's what the King James said. Listen to this. It says that Delilah vexed Samson to death. Vexed him to death. What's vexing? That's tough, isn't it? She literally wore him out. And so finally he said, if you cut my hair, I'll have no strength. And the beginning of the end happened right there for Samuel. Manipulators. I want to just say this right now. There was no reason at all that I used two examples of women manipulators and one of a man. Means nothing. Doesn't mean two out of three manipulators are women. Don't send me cards or letters, please. All right? Works both ways. So let's think about those stories and some of the, the, the common threads and some of the tactics of, uh, of a manipulator, some of the characteristics, and see if you see these at work on you or in you. The first is flattery. I mean, right now, let's just take a moment, and I want you to look at the person on your right and your left and kind of do this quickly and in harmony, and I want you to flatter them. Just say, you look this way or whatever. If you can't think of anything else to say, all right, quit sucking up. That's enough. That's enough. But you know, when somebody says something to me that I like to hear, man, I'm kind of like, they can, they can get me to do a little more of what they may want me to do. They say, man, you look like you've been working out. That's my favorite. <laughs> I like that. You look like you've been working out. Yeah. Well, you should see me without this shirt. You'd know better. Or, uh, uh, wow, you're so smart. Wow, don't you like to hear that? Man, your parents must have been good looking, and you got the best of both. That's great. You know, people start to flatter you, it's easy then for you to be manipulated, isn't it? Right? And then what about this? Threats. Threats. Ever issue a threat? If you don't do what I want you to do, here is, here's what I'm going to do to you. You ever know something about somebody when you were growing up, another kid, and you'd, you kind of could get anything you wanted from them because you kept saying, I'm going to tell the teacher what I know about you, or I'm going to tell your parents, I'm going to send them a letter if you don't do this. You ever threaten somebody or you ever have to deal 
with threats, and, and, and you just kind of are putty in somebody's hands if they know something on you. If I was to say this right now, if I was to put this up on the screen, and I'm going to say there are some people here I know something about, and I'm going to tell everyone in my next sermon, it would freak several of you out, right? Threats. What about this guilt? Ever been guilted into something you didn't want to do? You know, anybody ever say this to you? I thought you were a Christian. And you did that. It was worse for me. I thought you were the preacher's kid. I've never seen a preacher's kid act like that. Stuff like that. Parents are good at guilting, aren't they? Amen? Yeah, my dad was perfect at it. He had preaching skills, persuasion skills, and he tumbled them in with guilting skills. And if you did anything wrong, you felt so bad about it after talking to him that you'd confess things you never even did. (laughs) Guilt. You see, all of these things are the tools and the tactics of a manipulator. And there are others. Pouting, that's one, isn't it? Anybody here married to a powder? Paul, you raise your hand for everything, buddy. You need to leave church and get counseling. Some of you are smart enough to keep your hands down, right? Somebody pouts. Yeah, well, you go ahead. I'll just sit here all day. You go shopping. I don't have any money. You know, just sad, pout. That works, too. When you have to use manipulation tactics, practices, you understand that you've got a great big problem with control, the need to control someone else, the need to be sure that someone does what you want them to do. It happened to Jesus. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 16. And I want you to, to, to look at a kind of an excerpt of a story of an encounter really between Peter and Jesus. And, and here's what it says, beginning in verse 21. And actually, before I start, I want you to know that this was a particularly vulnerable time in Jesus' ministry, really a transition time because he'd been preaching and teaching and, and, and talking to people about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And now, all of a sudden, the tone of his ministry uh, undergoes a great big change, and he starts to talk to his disciples first about how his mission is going to be carried out. And he begins to mention that there's a high likelihood uh, uh, he's going to have to die. And of course, if you're a follower of Christ, if if your ministry is tied up, if you've left everything behind to follow him, to hear him talk about that is very troublesome. So he's having this conversation with his disciples. And, and it says in verse 21, he began to show them that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem meant going to Calvary, going into the presence of his enemies who threatened to kill him. And when he got to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. 
has this conversation with those who love him the most. And raised, he goes on to say, the third day. Isn't it amazing that they were surprised when that happened? Because he told them it was going to happen. And then here's what Peter did. Look for the manipulation here. He took him aside. Let's stop right here and say this. It is much easier for me or for you to manipulate someone when they're alone rather than in a group. Somebody will talk them out of it if they're in a group. But if you take someone aside and you begin to rebuke them or straighten them out or manipulate them, it's much easier for it to take place. So Peter takes Jesus aside. They have this private conversation. And Peter basically says, if you see it here, far be it from you, Lord, that this should not happen. In other words, this is a really bad plan. This doesn't need to happen. This can't happen, Jesus. You've got so much more to do in your ministry. You and I are just getting started. Think of the places we'll go. Think of the things we'll do. Think of how we're going to change the world. Peter began to try to manipulate Jesus. And then in verse 23, how would you expect Jesus to react? I would have expected Jesus to say, man, Peter, you, you love me and that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your concern. I know you want the best for me. That's what I thought Jesus might have said. But instead, he said this, get behind me, Satan. He called him the devil. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You couldn't have said anything worse to me. For you don't know what God's thinking. You don't know God's plan. You just think like a man. Women have said that over and over again to us, guys, don't you? You just think like a man. And that's what Jesus said to Peter. Now, it's kind of an interesting reaction. But I think as we kind of look at, 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 at what we have to do to battle manipulators, as we look at some things that I want to encourage you to pray if you're under oppression for a manipulator or to look at in your own life if you sort of have these control freak, people need to do what I say tendencies, I want you to think about these three prayers. The first one is this, God help me to recognize, just help me to see it for what it really is when somebody is trying to manipulate me. When you see flattery, when, when people tell me I'm skinny, I know that's a lie. I know that's manipulation. When you hear threats, when there's guilt involved, when there's pouting, any of those things, when, when somebody uh, is, is, is trying to take control of your life and get you to do things that you don't want to do, how, how, how do you see that? What are some signs of that? First of all, if they make you feel really guilty and you have a hard time saying no. You ever been in that situation? You were somewhere, and somebody asked you to do something, and they were so uh, dogged about it, so persuasive about it, that you almost felt bad saying no to them. You found it really hard. You were struggling to make an excuse, struggling to find a way to get out of it, but you just knew that if you didn't do it, there was going to be some circumstances that were tough in that relationship. Happens in marriages. 
happens in friendships, happens at work. People make you feel guilty, and you have a difficult time saying no. Secondly, you compromise your values to please others. Most of the time, when you initiate yourself in a new sin, when you do something that you never intended to do, you did so under the auspices of of manipulation. Somebody said, hey, let's go here. And you said, no, I don't like to go to those kind of places. But they kept on you about it, and you eventually went. Happens on dates. Young men know how to manipulate young women. In this day and time, young women know how to manipulate young men. Heck, old women know how to manipulate old men, right? And old men do the same with old women. I mean, it happens. You find yourself saying yes to things that you know you ought to say no to. You, you, you find yourself compromising who you really are because you don't have the courage to stand up to a manipulator. Pray this prayer. God, help me to see manipulation, to, to understand it, to realize when manipulation is happening in my life. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He understood that Peter was trying to mess with God's ordained plan in his life. Secondly, God help me or empower me to put healthy boundaries in place. That's interesting when you start to think about recognizing manipulation and then guarding yourself, boundaries against it. Because it's almost like you're not real sure where to put the boundaries. Because graphic manipulation's obvious, isn't it? All of us have been in situations where we have seen people who just don't even bother to hide what they're trying to do. An abusive husband. You know, you're going to do what I say or else. A withholding wife. If you ever want to kiss me again, and she's already got that red lipstick on, right? If you ever want to kiss me again, you're going to do what I want you to do. A bully at school, you know, you better do what I say or else you're going to get the tar beat out of you, right? Those kind of manipulations or or manipulators are obvious, but it's those who aren't so obvious to you that get you, right? You've put the boundaries out there against something like that, But the boundaries are weaker because most of the time, the person who manipulates you is somebody that loves you. You ever think about that? Somebody that loves you. And and they probably want what's best for you in their own mind. They're not being abusive. They're not being withholding. They're not being mean about it. But they want something from you. And they're going to get it using those manipulation tactics. That's what was happening with Peter. And here's why, here's why, and I want you to see this because this is the crux of this message. Here's why that was so critical. Peter wanted Jesus to do this, but God wanted him to do this. And manipulation becomes extremely dangerous in our life when people try to get us to stray from God's plan. You see that? 
When someone says, I know better, then God knows what you need. I know where you ought to go, what you ought to do, how you ought to behave, and it may not be what God's telling you, but you better listen to me. You know what that is? If you allow a person to manipulate you out of the will of God, if someone is more important in your life, more influential in your life, a higher priority in your life than God is, that's the sin of idolatry. Did you hear me? Say that word with me, idolatry. Is there a commandment? Help me. Is there a commandment that says you shall have no other gods before me? And if you are following, obeying, allowing manipulation in your life, you're breaking that commandment, my friend. Can I tell you, I've, I've lived through manipulation. I was married once, and practically every day of that marriage towards the end, I heard this threat. If you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to divorce you. And she meant it. (laughs) She did. But I felt so weak. There were times that I didn't do things that I knew God wanted me to do because I didn't want to lose that relationship. My boundaries were weakened. My resolve was weakened. My courage was weakened. I was a wimp. And when the worst finally happened, it felt mighty good at some point to not be living under a threat, to not be manipulated. I think that happens in many of our lives. Somebody has something over us, and we cease to listen to God, and we start to listen to man or woman. And we stumble. Number three. Now, let's just stop right here for a second. I, here's, sermons are great, aren't they? Amen? And you know my favorites, I mean, I wish we could have six or eight of these a week instead of one, right? No amens there. And here's what makes sermons great. Here's the sermons we love. When they really hit somebody else square in the face, right? Don't you like, I mean, get your phone out and you text somebody. I heard a sermon and here's what you need to do before you can even get home. I heard this in a sermon and boy, it was right down the road to help you. And this would fix your life. If you'd have heard it and you did it, it'd fix your life. Those are my favorite sermons when they're about you and not about me, right? But here's the truth. While it is easy to see manipulation and other difficult things in other people's lives, it's mighty difficult sometimes to see them in our own, isn't it? But there is something within all of us that has this desire to control things to take the mystery out of tomorrow, to get people to do what we want them to do so we can be happy with them. 
There's something within all of us that wants to seize, on some level, control. And so every single one of us today needs to pray this prayer. God, help me to see that need to control. And God, help me to surrender everything. What's everything mean, guys? Can I tell you, I'm an excellent surrenderer. I am an excellent surrenderer. I don't know if that's a word, but it sounded like one. If you ask me for certain things, I'll give it to you. You got it, brother. It needs a transmission. (laughs) Certain things you ask me for, certain things that aren't very important to me, I'll give you. But there's some things in my life that I hold tightly to. There's some habits, some personality quirks. There's some things in my life that I won't let go of. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that I'm never really going to be who I should be in God's eyes until I give Him everything? And neither are you. Neither are you. There's some things that kind of keep a barrier between us and God because we're not willing to change them or surrender them. Secondly, you realize that you would make a lousy God you ever think about that? But the number one sin of mankind and our number one sin, whether we recognize this or not, is, is this desire that we have just to be God in our life, to be the decision maker, the power broker in other people's lives, but for our purposes now, our own life. And there's nobody in this room who would make a good God. I'm probably the best candidate, but I'd make a lousy guy. Actually, I'm probably way down the line, kind of behind Vern Huffman and Brother Arnold over here. Those guys are ahead of me. All of us, none of us know what's out there. No one knows what tomorrow looks like. No one knows what's really the wisest decision. And yet somehow or another, we desire to be God instead of letting God be God. We don't surrender everything to Him. We hold on to the things that we think we know best about, don't we? Help me to help you to see how important it is that God is really God every area of your life. Would you place a name on what you're holding back from him? Would you be honest and say, God, help me to let go. Help me to let go. Help me to surrender everything. Everything.
No more manipulation. No more struggle. No more battle. No more habit. No more obsession, addiction. No more lies. I surrender everything. Would you listen prayerfully as Chris sings? All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him In His presence daily this time of invitation, this time where we give to you everything, our hurts, our sins, our burdens, our struggles, our lives.
everything. Father, lead us to your altar. Offer life change and empowerment. Cause us to see truth and live by that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And as we sing, I want to invite you to this altar for prayer, for renewal, for strength. Come pray for someone else. Come pray that you will give everything to God and mean it. Come trust Jesus for the first time. Know that you're headed to heaven. Come share in communion with a friend or family member. Have a holy moment before God. But don't just stand there. Don't leave here under the control of any other person or your own sin. Say, get thee behind me, Satan. Say that in your heart. Say it out loud if you want. Let him know you mean it. Right now, come to the Lord as we sing.